It's time for Truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's time for Truth exists to glorify God through the edification of His saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I'm your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I'm joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Good day to you, faithful podcast listener, wherever you may be, and whenever you may be listening. Thanks for making us part of your day. We hope that you have been blessed by our discussion of our church distinctives, which is meant to help you think about why we do what we do the way we do it. These are things that we care about, and and so I hope that you will consider them and appreciate what we are doing, and uh, we are again excited to bring to you our next church distinctive. These are values that we care deeply about, and just like With all of them, our hope is that you will engage with them, study them, believe them, practice them, and love them. But before we get into our discussion for today, Jim, how are you today? I'm doing great. We had, uh, I'm excited that we're doing a homeschool co-op as part of True Family. This will be announced uh, by the time you hear this, hopefully. And uh, we had a great meeting last night, got it organized. Uh, It's a nice light touch one to begin with, so it doesn't require a whole lot of maintenance and uh, We've got a lot of families that are committed to it, so I'm super excited about that. And then out in the news, it's funny, Big Eva has announced that complementarianism is under attack, which is hilarious to me because we gave up patriarchy in, in Big Eva, and now they have a new word, complementarianism, which I think is an unnecessary third-way term, and it's under attack, which is just hilarious to me. Well, from from which direction, Jim? Yeah, both in my case. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. No, that's uh, that, that's interesting. Yeah, no, there's a lot of things happening, so we're looking forward to uh, a number of uh, uh, items and and things that are happening um, in the life of our church. Well, we return to our discussion of our church distinctive of family integration. This is part two in this discussion, and uh, just a brief review. Last time we talked about the importance of involving children in the worship service. Um, this is having really a multi generational approach to worship when you have people of all ages and stations in life, participating together in the worship life of the body. And Jesus set this precedent in terms of the value of the nearness of children, both during some of the most adult-level teaching, by the way, as well as afterwards in terms of participation and prayers. And so we described our structure. We we don't have the, the programs and the classes and so forth. Families come and worship together in the service, and we look at we looked at several passages that relate to that. We also talked about the newer invention of Sunday school and why that started and what it has become today, which is an age-segregated model, which really is, is related to the public school model of, of learning and teaching, and dismissing really Jesus' strategy for teaching hard truth in the presence of youngsters to believing and changing really to a belief that young people have to have something tailored for them and their special age group. And this has led to the dawn of the modern youth group. We just mentioned it last time, but let's talk about some of the challenge with challenges with it and, and why we don't have a youth pastor or a youth group. Yeah, and you know, and I think it goes to our view of discipleship as well, Danny. It's not just theology. It's discipleship across all the way God has gifted and designed our members of our, our, of our church. And 
that's such an important thing because no one would argue that we're to disciple by older men and younger men. There's no argument about what God's word says in that. It's when we get to the word teach and then we convert that into school that everybody gets lost. And even the homeschool co-op that we're doing, we had a great blend of older gray-haired people with younger people. Why? Because that's the way we want to design it. No, that's right. It absolutely does have to do with a philosophy. It, it does go back to a philosophy of education, which again, education and discipleship uh, are synonymous ideas, right. Uh, right? So those, that's exactly right. And it, it, it's, a, it's a change in philosophy. It's a change in a, in a perspective about how we learn and how we do what is best in leading people to growth and maturity. And we would say going back, going back yes. to an old philosophy. Well, we'll definitely be touching <laughs> on that today. Uh, let's start by identifying a few things. First, how is Christianity doing today? Uh, how is the American church doing as a whole? Well, just a cursory glance would indicate that it isn't going super great, and that's been true for a while. And I remember years ago that... Um, what had been identified in the church was a shallowness of teaching, a shallowness in the life of uh, many professing believers. And if we could just do something about taking God's word more seriously and teaching better doctrine, then that would fix it. And listen, there has been an improvement in the area of doctrinal fidelity. Reformed orthodoxy has been on the rise, has been it's been somewhat um, on the growth uh, trend. but I but I also realized, back then too, that there was another issue that not enough people were talking about. Only a small number, it seemed, and like Vody Bauckham, uh, were, were talking about not just the content of our teaching, but the importance of our delivery system. And again, this goes back to the philosophy of how do we disciple? And I contend that a lot of improvement in teaching without a reforming of the organization, the philosophy of teaching and learning, the structure and the presuppositions about how the church is ministering will ultimately fall flat. And don't just take my word for it. Listen to David Wright from an article in 2012. Um, so this is you know 11 years ago. But this is his opening paragraph. And by the way, I would say 11 years ago, we're not necessarily improving uh, in, in this area. So listen to this, his opening paragraph. Quote, to read books on youth ministry these days, it is hard not to get the sense that this experiment we call youth ministry in the local church has failed. This perspective is not shocking or new. Mike Iaconelli, founder of Youth Specialties, stated this rather boldly in Youth Worker Journal in 2003. According to Lifeway Research, this is again, 2000, so 20 years ago, 70% of young people will drop out of church after high school, and only 35% will return to regular attendance. Christian Smith's National Study of Youth and Religion found that most American teenagers have a positive view of religion, but otherwise do not give it much thought. Kenda Creasy Dean, in her book, Almost Christian, asserts, quote, American young people are theoretically fine with religious faith, but it does not concern them very much and it is not durable enough to survive long after they graduate from high school. This result is far from the intention of most youth ministries. Smith describes the religious outlook of teenagers as moralistic therapeutic deism, a far cry from the gospel of Jesus, end quote. That's the opening paragraph of this 2012 article by David Wright. So hardly a ringing endorsement of the success of the youth movement, youth group movement, and so forth. So where did this whole system 
that has failed the church come from? And let me actually, I'm going to stop for a second and pause because people, however, have a rather emotional, even visceral connection with the structure of the church. And, and you know, Jim, people will come, go to a church, they'll, they'll come and, maybe and visit, and if they look around and they don't find that youth program, something for the young people in terms of that, um, that distinguished, age-segregated uh, idea of how you uh, minister and teach children, if you don't have that structure, uh, people think you've you're broken and you're there, there's something is missing and that they're gonna they're gonna miss out on something really crucial and important uh, for their for their families and so sometimes uh, it's a it's a non-starter if you're a church that doesn't have a quote unquote youth ministry. But so where did this though system come from? Well, in the 1940s, an organization began called Young Life, and it was adults seeking to evangelize and disciple teenagers in and around the public schools. And then in the 50s and 60s, another organization called Youth for Christ began having large youth rallies, which were the bringing together of professing Christian youth, and it further organized into Bible clubs, which shifted focus to evangelism to unchurched youth. And by the 1970s, many churches saw a need to have specialized youth ministries, and they started hiring youth pastors. And so listen, folks, youth group and youth pastors as a specialized ministry is 50 years old. 50 years old. How old is the church? Uh, 50 years old, that's a, talk about youth. 50 years old is young in the history of the church. Um, that is new. And, but yet, but what's interesting, though, is that a person like me, my entire lifetime, has been surrounded by that type of structure. And in the 1980s and 90s, youth groups took on a modern identity. Listen again to David Wright. Quote, by the 80s, the emergence of MTV and media-driven generation meant church youth ministry became more entertainment-driven than ever. Youth pastors felt the need to feature live bands, video production, and elaborate sound and lighting in order to reach this audience. Uh, no longer could a pile of burgers or pizzas draw a crowd. By the end of the decade, the youth group meeting was being creatively inspired by MTV and game shows on Nickelodeon. The message had been simplifi simplified and shortened to fit the entertainment-saturated youth culture. And by the start of the 21st century, we discovered many youth were no longer interested in the show that we put on or the simplified message. Christianity was no different from the world around them, some youth ministries intensified their effort combining massive hype with strong messages. Okay, so they're like, hey, something's wrong here. We need stronger messages uh, that inspired youth. But it did not translate to everyday life. We realized we were faced with, listen, a generation whose faith was unsustainable. Yeah, and I think it goes further than that. I think, I think that they, they were taught one thing, saw the world attacking in another area, and it, it literally became hypocrisy to them. They were being taught one worldview. The world was responding as the world will in evil ways. And there was no defense of it. It was just a give up attitude. And, and I really believe it turned into hypocrisy against their parents first and then the church in secondary. Yes. And, so. and we'll see more of that. David Wright makes some of these uh, uh, observations. Um, and, and really, if you think about it, when we talk about, okay, is the church today 
would, would could we describe it as struggling? I think in many ways we can. One reason for that is because, as David Wright points out, we lost a generation. Now, that doesn't mean everyone or zero Christians, right? But it speaks to a predominant generational failure. And listen to some of the results that Mr. Wright points out. Quote, we segregated youth from the rest of the congregation. Students in many churches no longer engaged with the, quote, adult church. Uh, we, we always called it big church, right? It was, you know, kids church and big church, right? And that's what he's saying here. Students in many churches no longer engaged with adult church and had no place to go once they graduated from high school. They did not benefit from intergenerational relationships, but instead were rele- relegated to the youth room, end quote. Now, within this observation is, I, I think, the key problem. Students, uh, and really looking at teenagers, were no longer engaged with adult church. And what does that mean? Well, in youth group, things are tailored to, to the youth. They're tailored, if, if we're talking to a youth, they're tailored to you. It is about you and your friends. It is about fun and food. It is about hormones and the opposite sex. And this is a big one. It is a totally different style of doing church. You get your music, you get mischief, you get loud, you get fun, and you get food. And in youth group, you are the one who is served. Again, this is new for the church. This is a 50-year-old, as Mr. Wright called it, an experiment. And, and, And what he's pointing to, without getting into all of it, is that what youth group does is it trains the youth to not like the church of the adults, where there is a long sermon, where they're talking about serious doctrines or things that are uh, more relevant to people, in perhaps, in, at least in view, uh, of a different station in life than you. It's not tailored to you. You have to be thinking about other things. You have to be thinking about the future. You have to be thinking about theology. Uh, there might be an organ or a piano, and that's boring. And in their church, that is the youth group, it's fun and it's exciting. And so a lot of churches today are the product of people who have grown up in youth culture. And so they turn big church, they actually turn adult church, into a version of what they liked growing up. But again, something to take away from the discussion is that youth groups, I argue inherently, they separate the young people from the whole of the body, which is, which is artificial. That is not the way a family is organized. You don't separate the family like, okay, you, you, you go do your own thing and we'll do our thing. No, no, no. You do things together as a family. You, you share together. You spend time together. You do family activities, um, which is, again, what the church is supposed to be. And instead, it trains them to leave your church or to reject the main elements of what you are doing. And so really youth group is preparing young people to leave. And it turns out they don't necessarily leave and go to another church. It turns out they just leave altogether. That's the, that's the statistics so the large predominant statistic. So then if you don't have a youth group, what does that mean? Does that mean we don't care for young people? Uh, does that, do, do we not care about their salvation or their spiritual growth? Well, of course we do. So how was it that the church reached and discipled young people prior to 50 years ago? Did, it, how, did, did no young people follow in their parents' faith? Did they, did they not? Was this just a total blind spot for the church for almost 2,000 years? We haven't loved them until the 70s. We haven't loved, we haven't loved young people to the <laughs> 70s. We, we didn't understand uh, for human history 
how it is that you uh, raise and disciple young people into following your faith? Well, for when it comes to the life of the church, the youth attended and worshipped. The, the youth were attended, um, and, and excuse me, the youth attended and they worshipped with the rest of the congregation. From the babies to the seniors and everyone in between, they sang the same songs, they listened to the same sermons and teaching, they ate together, they served together, they talked together, they just participated like anyone in a family would, and it was normal. And second, discipleship was normalized in the family and in Christian education. This is what you were pointing out really earlier, Jim, that, that there's actually a normative place for this to happen, and that would be the family and in your form of Christian education, whether that was homeschool or a Christian private school. Young, and actually, back in the day, many of the early public schools were, uh, uh, had Christian elements to them. I mean, there was, there was certainly another um, elements to that. But young people were taught the scripture, and they were discipled in the truth through the leadership of their Christian parents and the teaching of Christian schools. And so education was not uh, primarily a secular or government institution until also relatively recently. There's a correspondence, look, you have to recognize, there's a correspondence uh, with this emphasis on age-targeted ministry with the development of government schools. And so look at what has happened. The youth group has turned into, it has been seen, as a replacement or substitute for an ordinary and robust relationship with the whole church, a robust and ordinary relationship with parents, uh, it has become a replacement for the discipleship that is to be centered in the home. And in cases where education is not distinctly Christian, youth group is looked to as a supplement or even a replacement for Christian worldview teaching. Well, how has youth group done? Rewind the tape and the results have been really disastrous. And it's so much more than, than just theology and church. It shows up in every era of life. Last mm -hmm. night we were talking about ethics and even manners. The idea of when you get a gift, you write a thank you note. That is lost on a whole generation of parents, let alone how does that get into the children? And we, we're fortunate we have older generations that know these things. They understand manners. And we talked about having a class on manners because it's required today, which seems block and tackle for all of us that have had it, that grew up with it, but it's lost. And that's discipleship. That's education. 100%. Right? And, and those are things that we need to, we, it, so often, um, and this is one of my beefs with a lot of private schools, Christian private schools, is they try to provide a public school um, experience and, they, and they, they model everything after what the public school is doing rather than being able to say, they're not the standard. We can, we can do and teach things in a far better and distinct way that produces uh, godly citizens and, and uh, make dis making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're talking about a class on manners, um, that's, about, that's, a, that's a class called Love 101. Right. That, that, that's, that's what you would title right. that class, right? Um, it's how to treat people Right, um, with love and respect, right, and honor, right, and uh, and those are things that we as Christians should be all about. Well, now take these issues, of course, for youth group, and also apply them for Sunday school as a whole. Age segregation, uh, often glorified babysitting, 
and acting as a replacement for the discipleship from the parents and their Christian education is really what's happening. And instead, what we need to be doing is helping our young people mature by including them with us, in valuing their presence, in building relationships with them. We should teach them to love the things that we are doing and to help them to love the people who aren't just like them. Boy, I mean, for all the talk in our day about the valuing of diversity, uh, what, a, what a crock, what a lie. Right. The reality is the church is built with, with inherent diversity. And yet we want to say, uh, but don't be diverse. Go into your corners of age-segregated or station of life uh, insulated and stay there. And, and, and when you talked about discipleship being something that older people engage with, with younger people, you, you have to have an environment where that actually can take place. You have to see each other. You have to talk to each other. You have to be able to uh, live uh, some life together. Now, one more word about this before we get into uh, just some practical applications of what it means to be a multi-generational, family-integrated church. Most of that will be for our next episode. But someone will ask, what about the youth who don't come with their parents? Or what about the need to evangelize and disciple youth who don't have Christian homes? And, I, and it is a, an important and it's a great question. Uh, the first way I would answer that is to say that we need to be careful about targeting youth as a group or class. And I'm not saying don't share the gospel with a young person, but let's, we need to be really honest with each other. Would you, and I certainly wouldn't, would you appreciate if, um, and, and I would be defensive of some other religion trying to proselytize my son or daughter and to try to get them to convert to their religion? These are my children. I have the God-given right and responsibility to raise them in my value system. And, and of course, we go, well, yeah, but ours is right. Well, listen, I, we, we get that. But I'm talking in terms of evangelistic efforts and methods, and it is much more honest and honorable and long-term successful, by the way, to evangelize the adults, and especially dads, because you far more often get the children also when you have the parents. But people have believed, people have started believing that if you get the children, if you get if you do a VBS and some little little guy prays to receive Jesus, that his pagan parents will then follow him. Normally, no they don't. That is a rare exception. And and everybody if they're honest and actually think about it and study it and look at it, they would be they would have to tell you that. It's not true on the whole. And because there are exceptions to every rule, then we justify a practice that should not be our normative practice. Our, our aim is not to try to uh, steal away kids from their parents just because their parents are pagan. The reality is their pagan parents are discipling them. And that's a really hard thing to be able to take a five-year-old that, that prays to receive Jesus at a VBS, whether or not that's genuine or not, it, time is the thing that, that tells. Um, and to think that that you're then automatically going to be able to get those parents because that child that child's a believer doesn't work that way. Uh, if the parents, however, get saved, then they decide what to teach their children. They decide where to go to church, and they bring their kids. And so, listen, we lost a whole generation of people on this failing model, and I we we believe it's high time that we get back to basics. Don't and again, don't misunderstand me though. 
you young people should be evangelizing your friends. And we welcome young people, teenagers, who are able um, to be able to come to our church, even without their parents. That, that is a good thing. We welcome that. Um, but in terms of the way in which we target and uh, develop ministry, um, we need to be very careful. And again, like I said, I, I wouldn't be very appreciative if someone tried to steal away my kids from my values and my... Uh, I, I think there's a dishonoring uh, factor that, that can be involved in that if we're, not, if we're doing it um, improperly and not with, with great respect and care. And so adults should be able to, again, to speak into the lives of their kids' friends or the, their neighbor kid uh, that they have a relationship with, especially if you have uh, that uh, family relationship and so forth. But the model of targeting large groups of youths uh, you'll, you'll appreciate the, the 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 connection there to the to the youths, <laughs> turning youth group into evangelistic meetings, etc. Has proven to be a failure, a failed experiment. And sadly, I think it takes the modern day church as we discussed, and so all the adults are sitting in another room, and they're seeing a lot of activity with young people, and they feel like they're doing well. I hate to say it that way, but ultimately, that's what it is. It's mm -hmm. instead of me being involved, we have outsourced it to a young leader whose theology is growing in and of itself and whose experience is fundamentally zero. Mm -hmm. He has no real life experience. And so you've gone from most often you've gone from an, an older man or, or older people who have life experiences that can speak experientially into these young people's lives to a book basically. So, yeah. and, and again, I think it goes back to the, that fundamental flaw of how we view education and discipleship because um, sometimes we just think, well, if we just have an older guy be the youth pastor, and as if that solves it, um, it, it again, it might be a, a measure of improvement, but it doesn't solve the overall issue of, of what you're doing and, and what you're training the young people to do, which is primarily to uh, be tailored to, to be served, uh, and to reject the, the faith of your parents who are in a different building in a different time or whatever the case is. Um, it's, it's totally different. Well, what does this mean for us at Truth Family? Uh, as a family-integrated church, how do we then use it? So you show up with everyone and Lottie stinking da. The model and the design, it, it's a tool, but it does not mean that we are successful as a church just in and of itself. Look at us. We're not doing what all those other churches are doing. We're so proud of ourselves. No, I... If we don't pick up the tool off of the workbench and actually use it, then we don't have anything really to be proud of. Uh, I, I've tried to explain to people, I believe that we have the environment for health. But just because we have a multi-generational emphasis and a multi-generational church doesn't mean that we are healthy. Uh, you might have a whole bunch of healthy food in your refrigerator. If you don't take it and do something with it, and it remains in the refrigerator. It doesn't matter whether you look healthy and have are surrounded by healthy things. The issue is you have to actually take it in and you actually have to use it properly. Um, and so that's what we're going to pick up next time. How do we make use of the structure of what God's design is for discipleship? How do we make use of the reality of we have a multi-generational church? How do we view and how do we do discipleship? And also, what are some principles for parenting in a family-integrated service? 
what are some of the principles for those who aren't parenting in a family integrated church, right? Because sometimes the issue isn't the family with the fussy baby. It that's that may not be the issue. Sometimes it's the people without children who aren't who, who get a little fussy. <laughs> uh, they're, they're not used to little ones in the service, and can be we, we can have a problem within a family integrated church. Not not just of too many crying babies, but we have too many rubberneckers. Right, where 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 we distract, we allow ourselves to be distracted. We don't discipline our minds. We don't pra- we don't practice uh, love and care and even help for other people. Instead, we can be judgmental and we can be bothered and, and we can lose our focus on the on the message and on the and on the service. And and distractions um, distractions come with life. Uh, but the reality is is that uh, we can actually, if we love and appreciate and understand what we're doing, um, then we can discipline ourselves, all of us. To live in such a way that um, that we make this a successful uh, discipleship environment where we love what we're doing, where we appreciate and and care for those who are working hard uh, to disciple their children and to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and uh, and, and this can be a wonderful thing. But yeah. we have to use it properly. We can do the exact same thing that the other churches are doing with the youth group with what we're doing. So the homeschool co-op is a great example of that. We can announce this on Sunday and set up a table and all the parents will be <coughs> excited about signing up and maybe participating but every member that's gifted which is every one of them and capable of of discipling youth in what they do and how God designed them should be just as excited and should be participating in this or asking to participate in this the welders that are in there the blacksmiths that are in there the donut makers everyone should be going wow how can i help train up a generation and share with them my knowledge. That's exactly what we're going to be talking about next time, right. is how do we use this? What is the mindset? What is the mentality? And, and, and what is the effort that I put in to the, a robust life of, 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 of church as family, as, as church together uh, with a multi-generational focus? How do I fit in? Where, where, what role and what part do I play? And uh, we'll bring some principles, we'll bring some thoughts to that, we'll bring some suggestions, and uh, we'll look forward to a great time together next time. But that's all the time that we have for Truth Today, and we want to thank you for joining us. And until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and His Church. As we are sanctified in the truth, God's Word is truth.